This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we are just another day closer to UFC 280. I know it's like two weeks away, but you look at that lineup top to bottom, hard not to get stoked. I know the UFC doesn't have the best cards right now on paper. You had that one this past weekend, of course, Dern versus Yan Xiaonan. We'll talk about that. And then in two weeks, uh, sorry, next week, rather, we have Grasso taking on Arujo in the main event. Another kind of, you know, card that you're not really making a point, uh, appointment viewing, unless you watch the UFC, of course, every week like I do. But UFC 280, you can, you can just smell it in the air. Going to be heading over to Abu Dhabi. That's an exciting card. That's a card that, I mean, if you're not looking forward to that card, uh, you just don't like MMA. Hate to say it. I think that Oliveira versus Makachev is probably the best fight that we have on the docket for the rest of the year. But we'll see if it delivers. Let's go back to Saturday night UFC fight night. Dern versus Yan Xiaonan. And it was an interesting uh, fight. A very interesting five-round affair between Xiaonan and Dern. But before I get to that, let's talk about the story that sort of took over this event, which was Mark Zuckerberg being in attendance. Dana White saying that it was untrue that Zuckerberg had rented out the Apex. And then my colleague Ariel Helwani on Monday said that he had heard from sources that they hadn't rented it out, but that Dana White wanted to let them have the Apex for Meta employees, Mark Zuckerberg, and make it kind of a private event. It was his decision, not uh, Mark Zuckerberg's. Listen, I don't have any problem with any of this. Like, you know... Would, it, would I prefer to see media there? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. And I feel for my local Las Vegas media and the ones that travel to events, I, I'm sure they would have liked to be there to cover this event. Now, I mean, if there was going to be one event to not be too bummed out about covering, that could certainly be it. But I've got to say that the, uh, the card itself was, it was pretty good from you know top to bottom. There were a lot of interesting things that happened, but this is the part that I take exception to. If you go to the UFC's Twitter account, there's a picture of Mark Zuckerberg watching the fights. I can't remember. I think it was the uh, Daniel Santos fight, which was a great fight. I think it won fight of the night, if I'm not mistaken. It was a Daniel Santos, Willy Cat, taking on uh, John Castaneda. It did win fight of the night. And there's a picture of Zuckerberg, you know, pumping his fist and sitting cage-side. And the caption reads... Zuck is all of us during these incredible UFC Vegas 61 fights. No, he's not. He's not all of us. He's a multi-billionaire who has the whole building to himself, who's cheering when there's nobody else around. He's not one of us. I don't know why they're trying to make this something it's not. Like, I've got nothing against Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, the guy's made a a brilliant life for himself and... uh, Found one of the best, you know, founded and created one of the best social media, at least biggest social media platforms out there. Facebook, and they own Instagram, of course. They own Oculus. Like, you know, good for him. But I don't think you're going to find people that are big fans of Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I, I, I think people either dislike him or they're just kind of indifferent to him. So to kind of play him up as this everyman, Zuck is all of us during these incredible fights. He's not. He's not all of us. And we're not going to gravitate towards him 
And it's just going to make us even more salty about this whole situation where members of the families of these fighters, unless they're in the corners, like Mackenzie Dern's father and some other situation, I think there was another father in the, in the corner. It just makes you feel like this guy's getting special treatment and it's, and it's negatively affecting other people. Like, I don't mind if celebrities get special treatment, they get front row. You know, former President Donald Trump was there for an event and it was a full crowd, it was MSG, you know. He comes in and everybody's taking pictures, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure he has security around him so that people don't bother him during the events. But first off, if this was a full house, like if they were letting in people from the general public, you think Mark Zuckerberg is like, people are clamoring to meet this guy and take photos with him? Just get security to sit near him and say, sorry, Mr. Zuckerberg's not available for pictures at tonight's event. I just don't understand why they make this into a thing that like we should all be like rallying for. It's, it's not. It's, it's silly frankly, that he gets the whole building to himself. And listen, I don't care that the UFC did it. I don't care that he has the whole building to himself. I'm not salty about it. I'm in Toronto. Like, it doesn't affect me one way or another. I just don't like that they're posting pictures where we're, like, supposed to be, like, on this guy's team. Like, he's trying to make him out to be the everyman. It's the opposite of that. It's, like, the complete opposite. It's kind of this weird thing that's going on in society in general right now where, like, all these people are trying to, like, relate to the everyman. It's like, it's okay to not be the everyman. It's fine but let's not make it into something it's not. We're not excited that he's at the event. Like, who cares? Even if it was a full building, people wouldn't be like, I can't believe Mark Zuckerberg is there. He's a tech guy. Now, mind you, one of the most successful tech guys ever, and it's fine. But it's not like, you know, this is some somebody who is like a monarch or something. It's, it's, a, it's a guy who created a social media platform. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg doesn't need this kind of treatment anyways, but I'm, it's nice that they gave it to him. But like to close out the entire venue and not have media there, I think it's, that's kind of a weird precedent, honestly. Like the media is there to cover the events. That's their job. Like they're mixed martial arts journalists. If you're going to hold events, I mean, don't call it a fight night then. Call it like a, you know, UFC showcase or something. Because if it's an empty building, when full capacity is allowed now, and you have one guy and his wife and, like, a couple members of the meta team there with him, and that's, like, they're the only ones watching, it has kind of this weird gladiator feel to it where it's like it's a showcase. It doesn't feel like a fight night. It's got no energy in the building. It felt like during the pandemic when there was no full capacity where it was basically just, like, personnel sitting around the cage. It felt like that again, but for needlessly. It's like 2022. So, again, I don't care that he's there. I don't care that they closed off the arena. doesn't matter. But to make a tweet that says, like, Zuck is all of us. He's not all of us. It's just like, let's just be real about it. There's no reason to, like, try to sugarcoat the situation and be like, yeah, everybody should be rooting for this guy. It doesn't look good for him. He's made a ton of money. I'm sure that if he wanted to, he could put on his own events. And I'm glad that he likes MMA. You know, anybody, anytime somebody who's influential enjoys mixed martial arts, like as somebody who covered the sport and has loved the sport for such a long time, like I like when people are interested in the sport and they they're into it. That's good. It's good for the sport. Anything that's going to grow the sport is good for the sport. But at the same time, I just think we need to be a little bit more realistic about what this actually means to the, to the people that are consuming the event. That's all. So let's get to the fights themselves. Yan Xiaonan defeats Mackenzie Dern. I had it scored 48-47 for Yan. 
if somebody gave Duran a 10-8 somewhere along the lines, like I can't fault them for that. Uh, one judge did gave gave her a 10-8 in the uh, the fifth round. I think it was Junichiro Kamijo, if I'm not mistaken. But I didn't see a 10-8 in there just because there wasn't the requisite damage. Like they, she had a lot of control. She was going for submissions. None of the submissions seemed like they were. I mean, the, the potentially fight ending, of course, is Mackenzie Dern. She's like a world-class grappler. But it didn't seem like Jan was in any real trouble. The the volume striking were pitter-patter shots. I mean, even the statisticians basically gave Dern four significant strikes out of the 97 or whatever it was that she landed in the fourth in the fifth round. So they didn't view them as significant strikes being tabulated. Like, I think if she had four significant strikes tabulated and they gave her a 10-8, that kind of sets a bad precedent. Like, how many submission attempts did she have in that round? Like, I'm, I'm going to go take a look here at uh, UFC stats and see. Stern had two submission attempts. And they were both in the second round. So she didn't even have a submission attempt or wasn't even credited with a submission attempt in the fifth round. So if you're going to give somebody a round on four significant strikes and zero submission attempts, like what kind of a precedent does that set? the opposite of what the criteria says to do. You're rewarding fighters for control if you're going to do that. And that's not what the criteria is there for. So if you look at the significant striking tally, Shavnan lands nearly double what Dern does over the course of the five rounds. So I, I of course, had no problem with Yan Shavnan winning a split decision. That's how I scored it. Or, sorry, winning a, a decision. That's how I scored it. So... Again, if somebody wanted to give Dern a 10-8 in the fifth, I mean, that you know more power to him, but I just didn't view that as a 10-8 as a round. And now from here, you pull up the UFC rankings and you look at the strawweight division, look at where Yan Xiaonan is at, I think that it's going to be time for her to start moving into that contender. I mean, she's asking for Rose Namajunas. Not quite sure that that would be a logical next step. But if you go, down, if you go to the women's strawweight division, Xiaonan's now ranked fifth. So the names you got to look at are, I mean, Dern is sixth. You look, look at names like Amanda Lemos. Look at Jessica Andrade. Uh, rematch with Marina Rodriguez. Zhang Veili, of course, would be a massive fight if uh, if that ever comes to fruition. Say Zhang loses to Esparza. And Rose Namajunas is number one right now. So she's in the mix. That's for sure. And you got to give her a lot of credit for being able to hang with Dern on the ground and survive, basically. Because... Everybody thought, you know, all it takes is one slip up. She gets to the ground and Dern's going to find something. And it's actually interesting to me that Dern wasn't able to find the submission because it goes to show that these different fighters are finding ways to defend against every type of, basically everything in MMA. Like the game is so well-rounded now that you need to know how to do absolutely everything. You can't get by just being a striker or just... You know, being able to stop takedowns and keep it on the feet. You need to be able to handle your business when you're on your back. And, you know, Xiaonan lost two rounds doing that, but still managed to evade the submission. So kudos to her. I think that was a great performance from her. And, you know, that Marina Rodriguez fight was very close. Rodriguez is now ranked number three. So we'll see where we go from here. I mean, that was an, an interesting, like an interesting fight to have as a main event, quite frankly. But I thought it was uh, the way that it played out was it was very interesting. 
co-main event, Randy Brown defeats Francisco Trinaldo. Unanimous decision. I had it scored the same way. And, uh, you know, I think Randy Brown is going to learn a lot from that fight. And, it's you know, people say, oh, Trinaldo's 44. He couldn't even finish a 44-year-old. When does Trinaldo look bad in fights? Like, if you follow MMA, you have to know that Trinaldo is one of the, the toughest outs in the sport. Rarely ever gets finished, and rarely ever gets looks bad in, in defeat. Like rarely will you see thirty twenty sevens on his resume, even at his advanced age. Still a very very tough fighter. So Randy Brown gets it done. It's been nice seeing his evolution. I mean, would have liked to see him get a stoppage. You know, that's the kind of thing you want to see. But again, Trinaldo is just it's not an easy guy to put away. Howney Barcelos defeats Trevin Jones, 30-25, and then 30-27 on two scorecards. That's how I had it as well. This was the kind of performance you wanted to see from Barcelos after his uh, loss earlier in the year against Victor Henry. He needed a bounce back, and you know, Trevin Jones is not an easy opponent to, to look that good against, and Barcelos looked great against him, so kudos to Howney Barcelos. Sadiq Yusuf defeats Don Shanus. Guillotine, 30 seconds. Now, this was one of my TSN edge dart throws, 12-1. to 1. On Yusuf by submission. Now let me go through how I came to that. Because you look at Yusuf's resume. He had zero submissions on his professional record. The featherweight division is the toughest division in the UFC to become ranked in. Like you look at the, the featherweight rankings. And it is just like murderer's row. Like you got Holloway. You know, Yair Rodriguez. Brian Ortega. Josh Emmett. Calvin Cater. Arnold Allen, Korean Zombie, Giga Chikadze, Bryce Mitchell, Evloev, Ige, Sadiq Youssef, Edson Barboza, Topuria, Alex Caceres. Like, these are these are guys are... I mean, I know Caceres probably isn't the, the, the biggest threat on that list, but I mean, he certainly has earned his ranking. But Youssef's facing a guy who has, like, two weeks' notice in, in Don Shanus. It's not that Don Shanus isn't UFC caliber, but when you're that much better than another fighter, you're ranked in the probably the deepest division in terms of the rankings in the UFC in featherweight. Sadiq Yusuf is that much better than Don Shanus is at this stage in his career. If you look at Yusuf's amateur record, he had some submissions. And he basically has the ability to do whatever he wants. Trades under Lloyd Irvin, who's a, a BJJ specialist. I figured he, however he chooses to win the fight, that's how he's going to win it. And submission is obviously one of those options. It's not a knock on Don Shanus, but I mean, Yusuf's a 12-1 to favorite in that fight. You get plus 1,200 on the sub. So I, I, that's what was my recommendation. He made me look very smart that night. So thanks to Sadiq Yusuf for uh, helping that dart hit the board. And a great win for him as well. We'll, we'll see what's next for him because right now, you know, there's not a whole lot of available fighters in the for the featherweight division. And Sadiq's Yusuf's resume thus far, the best win he has on his record is Caceres, who's ranked 15th. That was uh, earlier this year. But prior to that, I mean, his biggest wins, what, well, Mike Davis is on Contender Series, but like Andre Feely is his next best win, who's a solid fighter. So I think that Sadiq Yusuf needs a, a step up in competition. He had that against Arnold Allen, fell, fell short, a close fight. But that's probably what's next for him. And speaking of Mike Davis, the aforementioned Mike Davis, defeats Vyacheslav Borshov. Or is that how it's pronounced? Borshov? Borshov? Borshoi? They pronounced it in an interesting way. 
unanimous decision, uh, 29-28, and then two 30-26s. This was a pretty dominant performance for Mike Davis, who utilized the grappling, which seems to be Slava's biggest weakness in the uh, so far in the UFC. And he's, he trains the Team Alpha Male. I imagine he's got dudes wrestling him all day, but it still hasn't been able to translate in the cage. So uh, Mike Davis, who I'd like to see get more active. I mean, him coming out and saying, I'll fight again if I get like a million followers. Like, dude, what's that have to do with anything? It's confusing to me. Why, like that, it should be a prerequisite for him fighting more often. Since October 2019, when he beat Thomas Gifford, he's fought twice. I don't know if he's battled injuries. I know that he didn't want to fight in the UK for tax reasons. That's fine. So we'll see what's next for him. I'd like to see him more active. He's a fun fighter to watch. Willie Cat, Daniel Santos. Fantastic fight against John Castaneda. He took a lot of punishment in the first might have even, you know, possibly could have been stopped. But he fought through it, stayed on his feet. Guy's got a, a solid chin. He's training with Dobronx every day. Team Diego Lima, shootbox, continues to make moves in the sport. And I'm, I'll say this right now. If Oliveira defeats Makhachev, that's my coach of the year, Diego Lima. Solid win for Daniel Santos to, uh, to bounce back from some adversity in that first round. Willie Cat. Plus, he had a fighter on Contender Series last week that uh, got a contract. So, And uh, now Figueredo's training there. So Diego Lima moving up in terms of the uh, coaching pegging order in, in terms of MMA. Nice guy, too. Always has a smile on his face. Another one of my TSN Edge recommended plays, Alir Latifi by decision. And he gets it done by decision against Alexei Olenek. 30-27s across the board. Then had a, a very weird post-fight interview where, like, he was talking about how, you know, at age 40, and I don't even know if he retired. I don't think he even said the word retirement, but he was kind of taking his gloves off and was talking about how difficult it is to be in the sport and, like, injuries. And they, Then, like, it's, it was, like, this very inst- inspiring speech. And then it, like, turned into, I had a staph infection, and I fought through a staph infection. Nobody knew I had it, which is, like, pretty dangerous for your opponent if there's, like, if they touch your staph infection, they could get infected. And then asking Mark Zuckerberg for money, which was odd. <laughs> so, yeah, Alir Latifi gets it done by unanimous decision. And uh, his contract with the UFC is now done. We'll see what's next for him. I think he could go into the PFL and win the heavyweight tournament if he fights the way that he did, that, he, that he's been fighting at heavyweight. Basically, he's had as many minutes of control as he has, like, significant strikes landed. <laughs> the guy's just mauling people. Joaquin Silva defeats... Jesse Ronson, uh, you know, Ronson came out after the fight and said he got rocked by a knee in the first round, didn't see it coming, felt like he was doing well until then, and then he just wasn't able to bounce back. I like Jesse. I spoke to him last week. Seems like a really good dude, and uh, I hope that he does get another opportunity in the UFC. He still doesn't have an, officially have a win. He got his win over Dalby overturned into a no contest. Three split decisions in his first stint with the uh, UFC, so guy is still shooting for that first win. And the Canadians, like, we need to keep these Canadians on the roster. We're just, they're, they're starting to drop like flies off the, uh, the active roster. Brendan Allen defeats Christoph Jotko. Submission, first round. That's a difficult thing to do against Christoph Jotko. And Brendan Allen looked very good in the process, so kudos to him for getting it done. Uh, Chelsea Chandler, a very successful debut against Julia Stolyarenko. Chandler just seemed to be the bigger, more physical fighter. And... Stolyarenko seemed to really push the agenda early with that armbar, was unable to sink it in, and then from there, Chandler just took over. And the Guido Canetti defeats Randy Costa, first round, a minute and four seconds in. 
I felt bad for Randy. You go on his Twitter and it's just people like ripping him. Like, what are you piling on the guy for? I'm sure that he's not thrilled that he lost in the first round with a minute into the fight where he's a big favorite. Like, listen, things can happen in MMA where you make one little error and somebody can capitalize. Randy Costa's a solid fighter, but I mean, if you're an unranked bantamweight, like, the competition is stiff in that division. That's not an easy division to get wins in. So we'll see what's next for Costa. I think he's lost three in a row. Hopefully we get to see him again as an exciting fighter. But uh, three straight losses, Adrian Yanez, Tony Kelly, and Guido Canetti. And that is your UFC Fight Night card from the Apex. We also had a Bellator card. Bellator 286 took place in Long Beach, California at the Long Beach Arena, the backyard of one A.J. McKee, who was making his much-anticipated lightweight debut. We'll start with the main event. Patricio Pitbull, workmanlike performance against Adam Borix. wasn't the most exciting affair, but Pitbull was just seemingly a step ahead of him for the entire fight. We had 48, 47, 49, 46, and 50, 45. Quite honestly, I think it was closer to a 50-45 than it was a 48-47. Kudos to Pitbull. I was shocked at how low the price was on him. It was like minus 155 or something like that. Like, Borks is good, but I mean, Pitbull's like one of the elite fighters in Bellator history. AJ McKee defeats Spike Carlisle, who missed weight by 0.6 pounds. So it was technically a catch weight. But... uh that was an exciting fight. Like, Carlisle brought the fight to AJ McKee. It was exactly what you'd like to see AJ McKee handle in his lightweight debut. Brought the fight to him, and AJ McKee responded. Just looked like he was a step ahead of Carlisle for much of the fight. Carlisle did his damnedest to uh, bring the fight to him, and uh, AJ McKee was able to stifle his offense. But man, Carlisle's tough to put away. He's a tough, tough guy to put away. Jeremy Pico, uh, Jeremy Kennedy rather, defeats Aaron Pico. Pico injured his shoulder, dislocated his shoulder in the first round, defending a takedown of Jeremy Kennedy's. I saw Kennedy catch all kind of flack after the fact. Like, the guy gets a win. Whether or not you want to count it or say it shouldn't count because it's an injury. One guy said to me it should be a no contest. It's like, what precedent are you, are you bringing that out of? Like, there's no precedent for that ever. So Jeremy Kennedy ends up defeating Aaron Pico, which is a massive, massive win for him. You know, listen, you wanna, if you want to take it away from Kennedy because there was an injury, like, feel free to do that. That's your opinion. But the win is still on the guy's resume. Jeremy Kennedy has a win over Aaron Pico. And Pico sustained the injury, stifling, trying to stop a takedown. And Jeremy Kennedy won that first round. He was looking good. Would he have definitely won the fight? I don't know. But we're not going to find out because Pico got injured. And when you get injured, you lose. That's the way MMA works. I still think Aaron Pico is one heck of a talent. Still only 26 years old. Just turned 26 years old like two weeks ago. He has a lot of time left. And, you know, guys that are in wrestling and in a lot of wrestling rooms, like they mess up their shoulders. It's not, a, not an uncommon thing. But you look at uh, Jeremy Kennedy. He's won uh, three of his last four in Bellator. Wins over Matt Bassett, former UFC fighter. The loss was to Borix, who just fought for the title. And then wins over Emmanuel Sanchez, another former title challenger in his own right, and Aaron Pico. That's a pretty solid stint so far for Canada's Jeremy Kennedy. He might be the best Canadian fighter on the planet right now. <laughs> He's certainly up there. Juan Archuleta defeats Enrique Barzola. Unanimous decision. This was a catchweight fight at 141 pounds. 
I think uh, the belt was announced at a, at, to be a catch weight at weigh-ins. And you saw how much Barzola weighed on fight night. Those fight night weights came out and Barzola was like 180 pounds or something crazy like that. Dude puts on a lot of weight. But uh, didn't matter. Archuleta, clean sweep, 30-27 across the board. And we saw some, uh, some of the, another nice, uh, you know, young Canadian prospect in Lance Gibson Jr. Score a first round win. Good for him. J.J. Wilson got a nice win over Vladimir Tokov. Not an easy guy to beat. And he showed a... If you want to watch a fight where a fighter's on bottom for most of the fight and still wins, that's a fight to watch. Like J.J. Wilson was defending on the ground. He was landing strikes from the ground. He was the more active fighter. I'm glad that he got that decision because, because he earned it. And that's the way you got to win when you're on bottom. Islam Mamedov defeated uh, Nick Brown. That was mostly... Ground and pound, put on a clinic in that regard. So that's it for Bellator 286. And uh, combat sports, that's kind of a, you know, the MMA at least has kind of a weekend off. We've got that great glory event. Glory Collision is this weekend. I can't wait for that. That's on Saturday. You have Badr Hari against Alistair Overeem and several titles on the line. They're one of the, uh, their big event of the year. I'm looking forward to that. That's what I'll be watching on Saturday afternoon. Glory Collision. Looking forward to that. In terms of news, Aspen Ladd, one week after her release, has signed with the PFL. And uh, she will be competing in their featherweight division, which is not yet open, but it seems like it will be next year. Maybe they're going to take my idea, where you have Kayla Harrison fighting two divisions, have her fight at 45 and 55 in two tournaments. Keep her happy. Keep her busy. So kudos to uh, Aspen Ladd getting a deal. I know that uh, her, I'm sure she was pretty dis- disappointed about her release, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. I mean, she uh, she just couldn't make the weight at 35. And for whatever reason, like, they, I guess there's no 45 division really in the UFC. The UFC could be like, we're moving it to 45, but you've got nobody to face. And I think that she'll do good things there. I think that she'll be somebody who's actually going to push Kayla Harrison. They're signing all the best free agent 45ers, or at least as many as they can. So you can't uh, can't fault the PFL for trying. They want to keep uh, keep her happy. And I want to uh, mention uh, one of my colleagues who on social media, it was um, Steffi Haynes, said that that Patricio Pitbull should be more of a household name. Bellator should really push him so that people know who he is. And my response to her, you know, respectfully was, I think Bellator is probably more concerned with making Bellator a household name. Like, I don't think that, I think that people believe that UFC is the sport. Like, if you say, hey, do you watch MMA? They'll be like, oh, UFC? Do you mean, do I watch UFC? I think that's what Bellator needs to focus on, is becoming a household name in their own right. See if uh, that ever happens. I think it, maybe it will. Maybe it will in our lifetime. Who knows? But uh, we're going to have to see about that. And I saw people coming after Bo Nickel for having some, you know, confidence that he's going to be a champion, that he can beat people. It's like, why? It's funny. 
people look so much at who people are beating. Like, they never use how people perform as a barometer for how good they are. It's always like, did he beat, but who did he beat? Who did he beat? People came after me when I said Shemaev should be ranked after his first two fights. I said, this guy looks like he would be favored over most of the division and would, and would run through them. The way that he's beating up UFC fighters. People are like, oh, he hasn't beaten anybody. He beat a 55er and he beat John Phillips. When you're able to dominate fighters like that that are like good mixed martial artists and listen, the guy that Bo Nickel just beat is the CFFC champion. Not some, some guy that was like standing outside the apex looking for work. It's like a credentialed mixed martial artist. And Bo made it look even easier than his first fight. It just surprises me that people don't give any sort of credit to people when they, when they win in dominant fashion. It's like they're supposed to win. Like that's that, The expectation is that they're going to run through people. If they ranked Bo Nickel, I wouldn't be... I, I think, listen, are they going to rank Bo Nickel? He hasn't fought in the UFC yet. No, they're not. But if he beats, like, if he destroys Jamie Pickett... At UFC 282? I mean, like, I, I think you should consider it. If he beats Jamie Pickett in under a minute, people are going to say, oh, well, he didn't beat any of the middleweight contenders. Like, this guy would be favored uh, right now over a lot of the guys in the middleweight division. Middleweight's pretty deep, actually. Their rankings, like, Brad Tavares is number 15. Brad Tavares is a really good fighter. Chris Curtis, number 14. Chris Curtis is a really good fighter. Like, you still need to earn your ranking. I get it. But if this guy's just going to keep dominating people, like people need to stop being like, oh, wait, who's he beating? Who's he beating? He's beating, beating everybody that they match him up against in, in dominant fashion. That's who he's beating. doesn't matter who he's beating, beating. If he beats Jamie Pickett, he's beating a guy that's gotten wins in the UFC. Like Shemaev. He beat John Phillips, had one win in the UFC over Alan Amadovsky. Not like that's the best win. But the way that he just destroyed the guy, that's... That's how you know how good someone's going to be. That's how you can gauge someone's upside. You don't see people come into the UFC and just steamroll people. Very rare. And usually, typically when they do, they end up becoming contenders. Like, try to think of fighters that have come in, have wrecked their opponents in, like, cons- you know, consecutive fights in the kind of fashion that Shemaev did and just, like, gone on to become, like, nothing. It's very rare that that happens. So I think people need to give credit to Bo Nickel instead of trying to be like trying to undermine him. Like why, why can't we just get on a guy's side and be like, this guy has the potential to be a future champion. Could be a future champion in like a year or two. I don't understand it personally. I, I don't think Bo Nickel needs to get defensive about it. Just like keep keep winning fights. Like I think he's actually insulted that people don't think that he's that good like i think that he takes it personally which is which you know it's good it's probably going to inspire him to keep working hard not that he needs it because i mean listen the guy's one of the most decorated amateur wrestlers in mma history we've seen guys like ed ruth in the sport um who didn't end up amounting to much in uh in bellator but i feel like bo nickel's different i feel like bo nickel has something he has that it so we'll see if i'm right who knows All right, let's get to our interview. I had a chance to speak with Sugar Sean O'Malley. He is going to be facing Piotr Jan at UFC 280 in just a couple of weeks. And then uh, after that interview, I'll talk a little bit about UFC 280, shall we? 
Here's the Sugar Show. Sugar Sean O'Malley on the TSN MMA Show. Sean O'Malley is days away from heading to Dubai, and he's getting his hair done during the interview, which I, I appreciate. What, what's on the docket, or is that going to be a surprise, even though I'm seeing it kind of in its infancy right now? Yeah, it'll, uh, it'll be a surprise to both of us, to be honest. I'm not exactly sure what, what we've got going on. It's just a long process of sitting and waiting, so we'll both be surprised. All right, well, you've got a big opponent ahead of you, Piotr Jan, the number one ranked fighter in the bantamweight division. You look at the way he fights. Is a three-round fight ideal for you against just this opponent? I'm sure that you're not against the five-round fight, but against Piotr, do you feel like you have a better chance to succeed over three versus five rounds? Um, it's hard to say. I've never, I've never competed in a five-round bout. He definitely has more experience going into a five-round fight. So with that, I would say yes. Um, do I, I don't necessarily know it'll need three rounds anyway. To, to play out, but I would say a three-round fight will probably favor me. He's the type of fighter that's very good at downloading information about his opponents and turning it, I guess, turning the tables on them as the fight goes on. Do you feel like that's a difficult ask against someone like you whose style is predicated so much on being unpredictable? Yeah, I think it'll be a very big challenge for, for Peter to, uh, to download my data. Um, you know, he'll download, you know, my fist, punch him in the face over and over again. I, I don't know what he's going to be able to get out of that, but, but I don't think he's going to be able to make a read on me um, within the 15 minutes. I watched the uh, Anatomy of a Fighter video that Will Harris did about you. I, I learned a lot about you and, and your background. One story your dad told was when you were 12, you walked into the basement with him and his brother watching UFC events. And you said something to him along the lines of, this is disgusting. You should turn this off. And went and told your mom that he was watching it. So is fighting something that you do just because you're really good at it? You, you found something that you're very passionate about and good at, and that's why you became a fighter? Yeah, that, that's a funny story. Yeah, I, I never understood why he wanted to watch the UFC. I remember like people getting kicked in the ribs and, and punched in the head, and it just was so unappealing to me. I just thought it was absurd. I just didn't understand. I didn't get the entertainment value in it, and I wanted to watch something else on the TV. And I know my mom had told him, what, don't be watching that stuff around around the kids. So, yeah, I went and told her I, I wanted to watch something else. Uh, but, yeah, when I was – I don't know. When I was 16, I, I kind of was over team sports. You know, I didn't have good enough grades to play team sports. I was, you know, not getting my, my shot at, at being a superstar on the football field or, or on the basketball court. And I, it drove me crazy. So I, I, looked, I looked for individual sports. I found boxing and kickboxing and just really, really enjoyed it was naturally really good at it without ever, ever, you know, training. I just went in there and it was naturally good. So I had been competing my entire life. So, yeah, and then I just became very addicted about addicted to it, motivated by all the things young kids are motivated by, motivated by money, girls, all that stuff. That was kind of like the initial driving force to wanting to become a fighter and become a good fighter. And when did you start to actually enjoy watching combat sports? Did you enjoy participating in it more than watching it uh, for a time? And then eventually you just started watching it because you got an appreciation for what they were doing? Yeah, I still, still like 16, when I started kickboxing, 16, 17 years old. Didn't really watch fighting ever. 18, didn't really watch it. Uh, I started watching the UFC when I'm more, like actually like watching the cards uh, when I was 19 and moved to Phoenix to train to try to get into the UFC. So 
you know, when I first moved down here when I was 19 years old, I couldn't name. Uh, I, Tim was making fun of me. Tim, my coach, my, my friend, he was like, his girlfriend knew the UFC champions, and I, I knew John Jones. Like, I, I literally didn't know anything about anybody. I just enjoyed, you know, fighting. Do you think that sets you up for success more than somebody who really is obsessed with the sport growing up and gets into the sport because they like the sport? Because you can watch it from a different lens. You're seeing some of the things that the fighters are doing without knowing much about them, and you can just kind of pick little things about what they're doing and say, I, I, I like that, I, I want to learn that, as opposed to, I want to be like John Jones, or I want to be like Conor McGregor. Do you think that actually is helpful for you and has been helpful for you? Uh, yes and no. You know, I think the kids coming up nowadays that are obsessed with UFC, that are obsessed with training, are, are going to be very, very dangerous. They're going to be elite at a younger age and, and just a young man's sport. So I think that's going to be you know, very beneficial for them. Uh, for me, I, it's funny. I remember watching I think Connor versus Max was like when I when I was starting to first watch UFC. Something about Connor was so captivating. I was like, I, I wanted to watch his fight. I wanted to watch his career play out. I wanted to watch his interviews. I wanted to, you know, so so to start watching UFC right when Connor got in, it, it was pretty cool to watch how that played out because I I wanted to emulate that as far as not exactly what he's doing or his fight style, but emulate the feeling he gave people that when they watched him, they had to watch more. Yeah, it's really interesting that I think. Any star fighter that has marketability, I guess, is probably the best word for it. A guy like yourself, a guy like Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, it's all rooted in authenticity. When, when people try to be something they're not, people can sniff that out. And I think that's why people have really gravitated towards you. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I, think, uh, I do think that's why people are gravitating towards me. Uh, I think that's why people like Patty the Batty so much, too. I think he's just being himself, and he's just a, he's just a character, and... and He's not really forcing anything. He's just being his goofy self, and, and people like that stuff. What is it that you like the most about fighting? What do I like most about fighting? That's a good question. I, I would say the lifestyle I live. I have to live a very disciplined lifestyle because I don't want to go out there and get beat up by Peter Young. I don't want to go out there and lose a fight in front of the world. So I have to live this you know, very disciplined lifestyle. And that, it's not necessarily portrayed at on Instagram. I mean, obviously, just look at my Instagram post. It doesn't look like I'm, you know, sleeping good, eating perfect, training hard. You know, but, but that, at the end of the day, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm calm. I'm sleeping. I'm eating good. And I'm uh, treating my body very well. I want to be in this sport for a long time. Longevity is very important to me. Um, so I'd say the lifestyle is what I enjoy most about fighting. So when you're in there, is there anything personal about it? Anything emotional in terms of your emotions towards your opponent? Or are you kind of detached from it emotionally? Yeah, never. I don't look at it as a physical, violent sport. I look at it as just a competition. And I think that's kind of why I, I do do so good. I'm completely detached from, you know, I don't want to hurt Peter. I don't want to break his jaw. I don't want him, after our fight, I don't want him to suffer any long-term consequences. I do want to put his lights out in front of the world because, I mean, that's, that's what we're doing, and that does have long-term consequences, but that's not my – I don't want to – I would never want to physically hurt someone to where they couldn't compete or, or enjoy their life after fighting. So for me, it is completely emotionless as far as, like, wanting to hurt them. You talk about the lifestyle and, and how disciplined you are. 
people will look at your Instagram photos. I'm sure you always get these comments of, oh, you should be in the gym and not taking pictures. But on the flip side of that, you're also representing yourself now. You're no longer represented by Vayner Sports. What made you decide to do that? And how much of your time does that take up? Um, I uh, can't talk too much about that right now. But I will say I, I do enjoy representing myself. I do enjoy, um, you know, being at the head of every conversation with every brand deal. Um, I talked directly with the UFC. I just find that it's worked out best um, for me, not for everybody maybe, but, but for me, I enjoy doing all the business aspect of everything. So uh, it, it just makes sense for me to represent myself. Do you have anybody helping you with that? Like friends, family that, that are helping you make these decisions? I do. I have a guy named Emron who, who, who is my right-hand man. He is on every call with me. He's on, you know, he helps me with everything. And he just does have the goodness of his heart. He's like, the, you know, one of my closest people in my life uh, right now. So I'm very, very lucky, very fortunate to have met Emron. And uh, I've been pretty close with him for the last four or five years. Seems like relationships mean a lot to you. The ones that come to you organically. I, you know, again, on, on the anatomy of a fighter, you... Talked about how you're housing a lot of people that you met through playing Xbox and video games. Uh, why is that? Why why are these relationships something that you want to cultivate? Is it because they're going to last beyond fighting? Yeah, I have a very small circle. I mean, it's been it's been me and Tim for for a long time. We added Brandon Harris to the group, who's a strength and conditioning coach. Um, Augusto Mendez, who you know, ADCC world champion a couple of years ago, and, and that's the team. I do my sparring over at the MMA lab. Uh, they have a bunch of killers over there. Um, but as far as like my, my small, my circle, yeah, it's a small circle. There's five of us flying out to Abu Dhabi and, and that's, you know, as big as it's going to get. But yeah, like the guys that I fly in and, you know, they're, they're renting a place at the, at my house. And yeah, I think I just, I like helping people that aren't necessarily, um, gonna go out there and do it themselves. You know, I want I want to help people realize that they can, you know, do a lot more for themselves than than just live a ordinary and boring life. So yeah, I, I like giving people opportunity. I've always wondered about this. You've got your new merchandise that's out, and there's the uh, the Sugadelic line. And it seems like when uh, when well, that's the uh, the basketball jersey, but the Sugadelic line and the Reebok shirts that they put out for you, a lot of it is kind of steeped in like psychedelia and, and hippie culture. How does that relate to you? Why, why do you find the connection with that? The majority of my stuff, uh, I would say, isn't necessarily um, in in that. I, I would there, there's like the 420 drop. Obviously, we're gonna do gonna be based around that. The Shigadelic drop is probably the only other one we did that I can think of. That's kind of like the psychedelics and and stuff. It, it's just a small, you know, it's a part of my life, and it's uh, the, the merch. I, that's what I like doing about the merch is that we get a we get a like be the creative process and it just happened to uh, that popped into my mind so we did a small little sugardelic drop which is like a t-shirt a hoodie and some shorts but right now the new fight drop is what I'm wearing right now the jerseys limited edition there's 200 of them and then the whole the whole orange fight kit is is out right now on sugarshop.co but yeah the merch is something I'm very passionate about. All right, well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us the sneak preview on uh, the hair as it's, as it's in progress. We always appreciate that, and we look forward to seeing you against Piotr Jan. It's a UFC 280 from Abu Dhabi, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon, sir.
Perfect. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. That was Sugar Sean O'Malley, and he is taking on Piotr Jan, the number one ranked fighter in the bantamweight division right now. Tough matchup, but hey, you know, this is the kind of litmus test that we're, where we really get to see where Sean O'Malley's at. If, if it's just hype, like people are saying, or if he's going to be able to beat a guy like Piotr Jan. Personally, I think it's a difficult matchup for Piotr Jan in terms of stylistic, you know, stylistically. I think that Sean O'Malley's going to throw a lot of things at Piotr Jan and, and overwhelm him early on. And then it's going to be up to Piotr Jan to try to turn it around and win rounds two and three. But, you know, I think Sean O'Malley might actually be underrated at this point in time, which is crazy to say in terms of just his skill and ability. I think people think he's just like, you know, all hype. And we'll find out. I mean, hey, no better way to find out. What happened to this line? I'm looking at Islam Makhachev against Oliveira. Wasn't Makhachev like a minus 300 favorite? Yeah, he opened it. He got all the way up to minus 400. He was minus 400 for like a couple days. And now all the money's coming in Oliveira. It's only minus 169. Jeez. I'm flabbergasted by that. Like Oliveira by submission is now the same price as Oliveira was money line at one point in the time. Minus 158 Makhachev plus 134 Oliveira. I'm surprised by that, honestly. That's, uh... That line is probably... Like, just based on what we've seen from Islam, not that we haven't seen much from Charles Oliveira, but, I mean, Islam has looked pretty unbeatable in the UFC. I'm surprised that the line is where it's at. Like, Makhachev at that price is pretty solid, honestly, if you're you're thinking of backing him. Like, personally, I think Oliveira is going to be a lot for Makhachev to handle, but Makhachev has just been running through everybody. Honestly, very surprising line. Aljamain Sterling's a minus-166 favorite against TJ Dillashaw, who's plus-140. This is an interesting fight because I think that as long as Dillashaw's able to keep it on the feet, I think he's got the advantage. And Dillashaw's a really high-level wrestler in terms of the bantamweight division. Now, I mean, so is Piotr Jan, and Sterling was still able to take him down and, and handle him on the ground. But, yeah, I think Dillashaw... Like, this, this fight to me should probably be more of a pick em. But then again, if it was a pick, I might probably take Sterling. So now I, maybe, maybe it does make sense that Dillashaw is an underdog. And then Jan versus O'Malley. Jan's a minus 300 favorite to come back on O'Malley, plus 245. This was another line that moved a lot because I think when it opened, Jan was like minus 500. Yeah, he opened at minus 250, and then it stayed in the minus 400 range for basically up until this week. People are starting to bet on, bet on the other side. And like, you know, frankly, I understand why. And I think that there's value on O'Malley, honestly. I thought I thought that the line was was wider though, and uh, it no longer is. Those are the, so those are the big three, in terms of the uh, in terms of that event. Then some there's some other great fights on this, like Darius versus Gamrot, great fight. Muhammad versus Brady, fantastic fight. Kyle Baraglio versus Muradov, that's a really strong fight too. Jail Ten Almeida taking on Abdurrahman Shamil Abdurrahmanov, he's a big favorite there. A lot to love about UFC 280. I can't wait for this card. But we have another card next week, which we will touch on in next week's episode. Alexa Grasso, Viviane Araujo headlining UFC Fight Night on October the 15th. So let's, uh, let's table that to next week, shall we? Uh, big thanks to Sean O'Malley, and a big thank you to you. I will no longer be asking you to vote on the World MMA Awards because the voting is now closed. So if you did get a chance to vote, I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. And I uh, appreciate you listening to the show each and every week. If you have not yet rated and reviewed the show, that's my one last thing I will ask of you.
please go to iTunes or wherever you get the show. Rate, review. And to uh, our friends over at TSN Radio in uh, Toronto and Ottawa, thank you for listening as well. We'll be back next week to preview UFC Fight Night, Grasso versus Arujo. Be well, be kind, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.